On October 22, 2022, Shanquilla Robinson headed off to Cabo San Lucas, Mexico for vacation with six of her closest friends. Less than 24 hours later, her friends reported that Shanquilla had died due to alcohol poisoning, when in fact she had actually died due to a severe spinal injury. Why did they lie, and what were they trying to hide? Shanquilla Bernada Robinson, affectionately known as Quella, was born in September of 1997. She was born and raised in Charlotte, North Carolina, United States of America. Shanquilla was a well-known and successful entrepreneur. She had an absolutely booming hair business. She was an extremely beautiful and talented individual, well-known and well-loved amongst her community for her talents, her kind-hearted nature, and overall just radiant soul. She had plans to expand her business and continue to build an empire of her own, so very driven at her young age. She cared very deeply for others and had an extremely close relationship with her mom, Salamandra, and father, Bernard. Her mother says that Shinquella had an absolute heart of gold. She loved everybody, and everybody loved her right back. At 24 years old, Shanquilla and a group of her closest friends decided to go to Cabo San Lucas, Mexico on vacation to celebrate one of the friends' birthdays. The so-called friends are Khalil Cook, Malik Dwyer, Winter Donovan, Alyssa Hyatt, Dijanae Jackson, and Nazir Wiggins' birthday it was that they were going to celebrate. Shanquilla was extremely excited and she was definitely looking forward to this trip that they had been planning since June of 2022. It was meant to be a nice break from her fast-paced and busy life back home. She, Like I said, mentioned before, she was an entrepreneur, so she was an extremely busy woman doing absolutely whatever she could to establish herself, setting herself up for long-term success in her future. She hadn't had as much free time to spend with her friends because of this, and so this trip was meant to be a perfect time for all of them to catch up and have some fun together. She, of course, was mentioning this trip to her family, but especially her mom, as the two were extremely close. She was telling her how excited she was and that they were looking into hiring a private chef and they were really just going to relax and have a really good time. She was really excited to have fun with her besties. The trip was to occur from Friday, October 28th, 2022 to Monday, October 31st, 2022, and the group were staying at Villa Linda 32. The group flew out together on Friday, October 28th. They arrived safely and they got settled into the villa. Shortly after they arrived, Shanquilla spoke with her mom on Friday evening to check in and see how things were going. They chatted for a little bit and got off the phone as Shanquilla was getting ready to go eat dinner with her friends. They had the private chef who was cooking them dinner in the villa. They did not leave the villa at all as they wanted to just get settled in. Salamandra says that everything seemed okay, her daughter seemed happy, and there were no issues that she brought up. But this would unfortunately be the last time that Shanquilla Robinson would speak to her mother. The next day... Salamandra kept trying to get in contact with her daughter as the night before, Shanquilla said that she would call her the next morning. Shanquilla was not answering her phone, so the friends called Salamandra to tell her that her daughter just wasn't feeling well, that she was hungover, and they'd get her to call back as soon as she was up and feeling better. They called back on later in the day to say that Shanquilla was still not feeling well, that they had called a doctor to come, but they were pretty sure that she had alcohol poisoning. How would they know that she had alcohol poisoning before a doctor arrived? A few hours later, the friends called Salamandra once again to tell her that her daughter had died due to alcohol poisoning. Now, as soon as Shinquella's parents 
heard this report from the friends, they did not believe any of them. No one told the same story, so I never believed them anyway. Each one that they spoke to had different stories, different versions, and different events of what went down. Some said that she wasn't feeling well, she just wouldn't get up. Others had said that they tried to wake her up and get a pulse and they couldn't get a pulse, and that's when they decided to call a doctor. They were just very mixed reports. Nothing was consistent. But the one thing that they were all consistent on was that Shanquilla had died due to alcohol poisoning. Obviously, the parents could tell that something was up, and so this made them extremely skeptical and mistrusting of her so-called friends, as they should be. I mean, what are the chances that less than 24 hours after arriving, she dies due to alcohol poisoning, but everyone else is fine, and they did not immediately take her to the hospital or get her medical attention? Less than 24 hours after arriving in Mexico, Shanquella was dead. Seven people checked into that villa, and only six would walk out alive. Nazir Wiggins ended up leaving for the trip a day later than everyone else, so it's unclear how true or how accurate this is. He has posted screenshots of his flight tickets to corroborate this story. He has publicly come out and stated that he was completely unaware of what happened. No one had told him anything was wrong before he got onto his flight, so he had no indication that something was up when he was going down to celebrate the rest of his birthday. It don't make no sense. It don't make no sense for me to keep my page public and, and I did something. It don't make no sense for me to keep trying to live my life and move past this and I did something. Nothing is eating me alive. I don't know. I didn't know. Nothing is killing me. Nothing is hurting me and breaking my, my heart. Goddamn that I had to goddamn go hide because I didn't do anything. I'm fucking, I walked into something stupid and I really wish a flight got canceled. Blew up. I don't give a fuck. Don't send me there. He got off his flight at about 2.16 p.m., made a call to one of the people in the friend group. It's unclear who exactly it was, but he said that he was calling to ask for the address of where he was going. I thought that this was odd. Like, how are you going on a vacation and you don't know where the address of the villa where you're staying is? And oftentimes with customs, this is just my experience though, when you're going on an international vacation of sorts, I've always been asked for the the exact location of where I'm staying, so this was a little bit strange to me. But when he called to ask where he was going, this is when he claims that they told him that Shinquella was not okay. And that's the reason why they, I probably didn't know. Because they knew I was on everybody's ass in there. From this, that, 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 and that. Everybody there was feeling it. I don't care, bro. I just don't care. You don't do that on vacation. They told him that she was sick, that she clearly had alcohol poisoning. They had not stated at this point whether they were getting her medical attention, and he did not state whether he encouraged them to do so or not. He says that he then got to the villa at around 3.26 p.m., rushed to her side where he stayed until medical attention arrived. I was genuinely heartbroken that I went into a house to see a friend that I knew for nine years, unresponsive, on vacation, 2,000 miles away, in another country. It makes no sense. It makes no sense for me to come late to put myself in this predicament, in this predicament. I, I that was my first time out the country. I'm going, I spent money on a passport. I spent money on clothes and all that to put myself in a murder. I'm going to take my birthday extended. I just turned 25. I can tell me my birthday if y'all want. I'm sorry, what? I'm sorry, what? I'm sorry. What? I'm sorry. I'm going to turn, I celebrate my life with a murder. I just turned another age. I'm happy I'm still here. Come on, bro. The company CaboVillas.com, who rented out the villa to the group, 
stated that the group called the concierge for help on Saturday afternoon. The concierge then called a doctor who promptly arrived and found Shanquella just there on the floor and tried to resuscitate her. He reports that Shanquella died at 3 p.m. The doctor estimated that this was about 15 minutes after the injury that caused her death had occurred. If this is the case, then how long had she been lying there? Because Nazir says that when he got off of his flight, they had already told him that Shanquella was not okay. And when he arrived at 3.30, he said that the doctor was not there, but got there afterwards. So the stories are already conflicting and confusing right from the beginning. Shinquella's friends had reported to the authorities and to her family that she had died due to alcohol poisoning, and the Mexican police took that at face value before doing any investigation themselves into what really happened. Mexican authorities said that there is no clear evidence that Shinquella was murdered, and the U.S. State Department in Mexico refuted the parents' claim that Shinquella had been murdered, siding with the Mexican authorities instead of the Robinsons. The Robinsons knew for weeks that some sort of foul play happened, which resulted in their daughter's death, but they had no tangible proof, and they didn't have anyone who was willing to help them prove what they knew to be true. The entire group of friends returned from Mexico without Shinquella's body, and they left a day before they were originally supposed to, leaving on the Sunday, October 30th, instead of the Monday, October 31st. They did not attempt to figure out a way to get Shanquella to come back home. Nobody cared about staying with her there until her family was able to arrange things, showing that they really did not care about her. Even though they had left her body there, they packed up her luggage and brought it home and took it to her family. They all took turns staying at the Robinsons' house, sitting there with them for days, consoling them, but above all else, trying to convince the family that their beloved daughter had died due to alcohol poisoning. The family then had to fundraise about $6,000 to be able to bring their daughter home. It does not appear that the U.S. government made any attempts to help the Robinsons facilitate or fund getting Shinquella home. On Thursday, November 10th, her body was flown home from Cabo, Mexico, back to Charlotte. The Robinsons have very recently received an autopsy report which they have made public, which proves that her friends lied. In an interview done with WBTV, they stated that the autopsy report said that Shinquella's neck was broken, that she had a back spasm, and that her death had absolutely nothing to do with alcohol. Salamandra said that she had a broken neck and her spinal cord was cracked. She said that this took things to a whole nother level because that meant that someone attacked her. She was beaten. Shinquella had extensive bruising to her body, especially her face and her ribs. Her eyes were swollen, she had a huge knot on her head, and her lips were split. Anyone with eyes and a lick of common sense can see that this is clearly not a woman who died due to alcohol poisoning, even without an autopsy being done. The Mexican and American authorities were initially treating this case as open and shut, which it clearly is not. This largely has to do with the fact that Shinquella is a black woman. They didn't feel the need to investigate, nor did they feel the need to care what legitimately happened to her, which is disgusting because you can tell that she was attacked. Shinquella's death certificate lists the official cause of death as a severe spinal cord injury and atlas luxation. A severe spinal cord injury is defined as damage to any part of the spinal cord or nerves at the end of the spinal canal. There are two types of spinal cord injuries, complete and incomplete. Complete is when all feeling and all ability to control movement are lost below the spinal cord injury, 
and incomplete is if there is some motor or sensory function below the affected area of the spine. Paralysis from a spinal cord injury is also very common, and there are two types of that as well. The first is tetraplasia, which means that your hands, arms, core, leg, and pelvic organs are affected by the injury. The second is paraplegia, where all parts of your core, legs, and pelvic organs are affected by the injury. At this time, it is unknown whether Shinquella's injury was complete or incomplete and whether she experienced paralysis prior to her death. Atlas luxation is defined as a condition where unstable or excessive movement is present in the first two vertebrae of the neck. So essentially, her spinal cord had loosened or detached from the vertebrae at the base of her skull. You have to be so brutally and viciously attacked for something like this to happen. It is not something that can happen by accident, and it is definitely not something that can happen due to alcohol poisoning. The section of her death certificate where the police were supposed to note if there were any indications of intoxication, they just said that the person was found unconscious in her living room. The death certificate also has a section which reads, was it accidental or violent, to which they just wrote, yes. There's no clarification as to what that means, and there was no effort on their part to ever clarify what that means. This week, so the week that I am filming this video, which is the week of November 17th, a video leaked showing the truth of what happened in Cabo. I will not be showing the video, I will not be linking the video, and I do not recommend you go and watch it. In a recent video where I discussed the case of Hoden Hashi, I discussed the disgusting trend that it is to brutally watch black folks' murders as entertainment, and so in order to not contribute to that, I do not recommend you go and watch the video at all. I want to note that everything that I will be explaining now is alleged, nothing has been proven, um, and it is also going to be quite graphic, so if you are triggered by things like this and you do not want to hear the details, feel free to skip to the next section. So this video that was released by a local Charlotte vlogger who had received the video from a family member of one of the individuals who went on the trip. So this person had recorded this video, sent it to a family member, trusting that they would not release it, but they did just that. So the video showed that Shinquella had been jumped and brutally beaten to death by one of her so-called friends that she loved and trusted dearly. It appears one of the friends is upset with Shinquella about something. They are both standing up. Shinquella is naked and the other woman is fully clothed. So like they caught her off guard. The friend then out of nowhere begins to viciously punch Shinquella in the face. Shinquella does not fight back. She does not swing. She just tries to run away. But she is then quickly beaten to the ground. The video shows Shinquella sitting on the ground defenseless and naked in the absolute most vulnerable of states. It has been alleged that Khalil, Shinquella's best friend of over five years, is the individual whose recording of the attack has been leaked. Khalil can allegedly be heard egging on the fight saying, Quella, can you at least fight back? Quella, can you at least fight back? To which Shinquella replies meekly, no. No? He then repeats himself, at least fight back something. At least something. At least fight back something. The way he was saying this is absolutely disgusting. It was very much said in a way like, this is going to be a boring ass fight if you do not fight her back. Like, do something. Otherwise, why am I recording? Like, sir. 
Can you at least be a decent human being and help her? Disgusting! This woman is then seen punching, hitting, and slamming Shinquella to the ground in their villa. The rest of the friends are standing around watching this go on. They can be heard making comments and egging on the fight as well because they too were recording. It's unknown at this point if the rest of the friends participated in the attack themselves, like if they physically were beating Shinquella, if they were all beating her together, or what exactly happened after the video stopped recording. Throughout the attack, Shinquella does nothing to defend herself or fight back. This is especially heartbreaking because it was so clear that she did not want to fight, let alone fight one of her best friends. I cannot imagine how confusing, stressful, and painful her last moments on earth were. Wondering why this happened. Wondering why no one is helping you. Why everyone is watching. Why all your friends are filming. Why they're encouraging this brutal attack, wondering what flipped within them to make them want to attack you in this way. The woman then continues to brutally attack Shinquella, landing numerous hits to her face and body. She tells Shinquella to stand up, which at this point, it's clear that Shinquella is unable to stand up due to her injuries and what I imagine to be a haze of confusion, frustration, physical and emotional pain. The woman then yells again, get up, I'm tired of your shit, before approaching Shinquella again to continue the brutal beating, but that's where the video ends. The person allegedly beating Shinquella in the video is Dejeuner Jackson. After it was leaked that she was the one who beat Shinquella potentially to death, she began to post on social media that she would accept cash app payments for interviews in order to tell her side of the story trying to make money and profit off of brutally beating her friend, causing serious injuries which resulted in her death. She has since deactivated all of her social media accounts. Her LinkedIn, however, was still up at the time of filming this video, where she clearly states her intentions of wanting to be a healthcare worker. The absolute irony of this woman wanting to be a healthcare worker, yet beating her friend up, leaving her to die, colluding with her friends to cover up the death, lying to everybody about what happened, and then leaving her body in another country to try and prevent the truth from coming out is not lost on me. After she was brutally beaten, no one immediately tried to get her medical attention, nor did anyone try and help her. After the video was leaked, the Black community internationally expressed their disgust and frustrations online. All of the people being up in arms about Shinquella's brutal beating and death was now putting a lot of pressure on American authorities to act, to do something, because it is now more clear than ever that Shinquella had in fact been beaten to death. The U.S. Department of State, the same ones who denied the Robinsons' request to look into the death prior, have now released a statement stating that they are investigating Shinquella's death. The statement reads as follows. We are aware of the reports regarding Ms. Robinson. Protecting the welfare of our U.S. citizens overseas is among our top priorities. Out of respect for the privacy of those involved, we have no further comment at this time. Why did they have to wait for public outrage to get involved and investigate the clearly suspicious circumstances surrounding her death? The family is absolutely devastated. Shinquella was and is so deeply loved. She will forever be so extremely missed. Her father is absolutely heartbroken. He says that all he's been doing is crying and trying to figure out what happened. He can't be a grandfather. He cannot walk her down the aisle. She's just gone. 
He questions how they could do this to his baby. Going on in an interview to say with the North Carolina Beat that all of her friends need to be in jail right now in Mexico and they shouldn't have been let go. They shouldn't have been allowed to leave the country. Salamandra says that she will not be at ease until someone is arrested. I probably won't be at ease until someone's arrested. The family has contacted the FBI to help them solve the mysterious circumstances surrounding Shinquella's death and bring truth to light. They also said that a private investigator will be hired if the answers do not become clear. At this point, there is no GoFundMe or crowdfunding or place to send donations to the family. If a GoFundMe is created or an email address or PayPal or Cash App or something along those lines is put out there where donations can be sent, I will share that information and it will be left in the description. Unfortunately, Black women being murdered when with their so-called friends is not a new occurrence, and many Black women and girls have had their lives put in jeopardy for entertainment's sake when with folks that they love, folks they consider friends and family, those who are supposed to have their best interests at mind and then make the split decision to no longer do so. Tamla Horsford is an example of this. On November 3rd, 2018, 40-year-old mother of five was headed to a sleepover birthday party of a good friend, Jeanne Myers, in a small southern town with an extensive history of pervasive racism, especially within their policing and law enforcement system. Jeanne had invited a group of moms and she told everyone that they should sleep over as she didn't want anyone to drink and drive. Now, it is important to note that Tamla was the only black woman present and the only black person present at this party. At around 8.30 p.m., Tamla arrived with a little bottle of tequila, an overnight bag, and once she got there, she changed into a white onesie covered in paw prints. All of the moms had agreed to go to this party because it was ladies only, but Jeanne's boyfriend, Jose Barrera, and someone else's husband named Tom Smith ended up staying. Nobody wanted to argue with the birthday girl, so they just kind of let it slide, but it was like a little bit of side eye, like why are, why are the men here all of a sudden? The women drank and socialized upstairs while Jose and Tom were in the basement watching football. This is the story according to Gian. Tamla was the only person who smoked at the party, and this night, Gian alleges that Tamla was smoking weed. She says that she asked her to stop and called her the female Bob Marley, which, remember that pervasive racism we're talking about? There we go. There we go. This statement is a microaggression, but that's a form of racism. The men then joined the rest of the group playing Cards Against Humanity, where pictures and videos were taken, showing Tamla was smiling, happy, and having a good time. She had been drinking like everybody else, but it was very clear that she was not drunk or overly intoxicated. She was in complete control of herself. Those who decided to not stay the night left at around 11.30 p.m., and everyone else who stayed then slowly headed off to bed. People say that Tamla was awake after Jose and Gian went to bed, which was around 1.30 a.m. The garage door opened at 1.40 a.m. and would not be shut until the next morning, but nobody has said who opened that door, who went in that area. The last person who claims to have seen Tamla alive was Bridget Fuller, who was picked up by her husband at 1.47 a.m. Bridget says that Tamla was eating and let her know that she was going to smoke one last cigarette before bed. 
the validity of this is unknown. Me personally, I do not believe it. I believe that she was just making this up to corroborate her actual friend Jeanne's story. And the reason that I believe she is lying is because she told police that Tamla walked her to the door, hugged her goodbye, and shut the door as her husband came to pick her up. But her husband told police that his wife was at the door by herself. Nobody else was there with her. From 1.47 to about 1.57 a.m., the home security system shows that the back door opened, then closed, and then opened once again at 1.57 a.m. where it would remain open. The next morning, at around 8.45 a.m., Jeanne's aunt, Madeline Lombardi, found Tamla face down in the grass, not moving. She claims to have said a prayer and then went to find Jeanne. She went upstairs to tell her that something was wrong with her friend from the islands. So again, another level of microaggression. First you call her Bob Marley, and then you do not even have the decency to call her by her name. At around 9 a.m., a call was then made to 911 where both Jeanne and Jose were on the line. They said that Tamla was not moving, that she was laying face down, and that she was stiff. Jeanne then adds that she was drinking, and it looks like, I'm guessing, maybe she fell off the balcony. Tamla was pronounced dead at the scene, and before the autopsy even came back, the police were treating her death as accidental, as a fall taken from the ground-level deck, and then later changed that to say that she fell from the second-story outdoor deck. On February 20th, 2019, the Forsyth County Sheriff's Office concluded that her cause of death was falling. Her family did not believe this version of events, as it made absolutely no sense, especially due to the way that the case was handled. The scene wasn't preserved, the evidence was not tested, witnesses and people from the night had not immediately been interviewed, giving them a chance to get their stories together. They had not done a sexual assault kit, they did not take fingernail clippings, and they did not test the bottle of tequila that Tamla was drinking from to see if she had potentially been drugged. The second story drop was only about 14 feet, so they did not believe that this fall could cause death, and it also did not explain the extensive other injuries which she had sustained. She had blunt force trauma to her head, neck, torso, arms, and legs. She had abrasions on her face. She had four different types of hemorrhages in the skull and brain. She had a fractured right wrist, a broken neck, and a laceration on the right ventricle of her heart. The lead investigator, Mike Christian, even said that it appeared as if the body was staged due to the location of her head, arms, and legs. He said it did not at all make sense if she did fall because she wouldn't have landed like that. Jose and Gian had very strong ties with the police force responsible for the investigation, and Jose was actually fired from his job after accessing files on Tamla's case, as well as trying to access exclusive information about her death that had not yet been released to the public. Tamla's father says that the police were investigating Tamla, not everybody else, despite her clearly being the victim who lost her life. The case is still ruled as an accidental death. The Georgia Bureau of Investigation concluded their investigation and declined to press further charges. To me, it is very clear that Tamla was not brought there that night as a genuine friend. She was brought there to be the group's entertainment and she ended up dying because of it. Due to the extensive injuries that she has, it is clear that she was tortured, that she was brutalized, and that she was fighting back against whatever was being done to her. This case, Tamla's case, is an extremely topsy-turvy and confusing one, but if you would like me to cover it in depth, just let me know down in the comments and I will do so.
this trend of black women being brought to majority white spaces or spaces where they are with their so-called friends and they're being used as entertainment is something that I have experienced myself. And I normally cover Canadian cases or primarily Canadian cases, but I felt called to cover this one. One, obviously she is a black woman who was murdered internationally, but it was done by people she trusted and called her friends. So there's this very recent resurgence of the trend of recording black women being brutally beaten and I'm disgusted by it. Y'all make me sick! Y'all make me sick! I do not understand what in your right mind makes you see someone getting attacked even before the attack starts because you can sense that it's coming or you know that it's coming. You pull out your phone, you start to record and then you share it to somebody else. Like what is wrong with y'all? Black women's brutality, black women's torture, it's not entertainment. And the modernization of this age-old racist and sexist trend happening in real time is absolutely terrifying. As if it was not already scary enough to just exist as a black woman all on its own, but now it is popular to film as being brutally beaten to the point of death, to encourage it, to egg it on, and then post it on social media, and then try to cover up what it is that you have done and the role that you played in the death by standing there recording and posting it to social media, doing nothing to intervene. If you see anyone being attacked, but especially a black woman, step in, intervene, do what you can to stop it. Black women are so often seen as being strong, being able to withstand immense amounts of pain, and we are ultimately dehumanized because of it. It is so sick and twisted to watch someone being brutally beaten up See that they are not fighting back and pull out your phone and encourage them to fight back so you could be entertained. Cannot, I cannot, ew. You make me sick. You make me sick. I just cannot. The fact that Shinquella's death happened less than 24 hours after they landed leads me to believe that this was premeditated. Like they took her down there with the intention of causing some form of serious harm to her and they wanted to cover it up. There are a lot of things that make me believe this, and so I'll just list some of them right now. The fact that the recording begins before hands were ever laid on her. The fact that she's naked in the video and Dijonet is fully clothed. The fact that her friends are telling her to fight back and encouraging Dijonet beating Shinquella while Shinquella refuses to fight back. The fact that she is attempting to run away and get away instead of laying hands on someone who she considers a friend. They knew that she would not fight back. And so they picked on her and they brutally attacked her. The fact that she was seriously injured and they lied about what happened to her mother and her father and continue to lie about what happened. The fact that they left her body behind, but packed up her belongings and made sure to bring that home to the family. The fact that they went to the parents' house to continue to lie about what happened. It's just disgusting. And these people were not her friends. I call them that throughout the video because I do not know what else to refer to them as. But a true friend would never do anything like this and would never sit back and watch someone else do it to you. They would never record it and not intervene and egg your brutal beating leading to your death on. Those are not friends. Shanquella Robinson's name needs to continue to be out there. You can share this video. You can continue to demand justice. Stay updated with the case, whether that be independently on your own, through me, as I will continue to post updates about this case or through other forms of media. Do not allow her family to go without answers and ultimately go without the justice that they are seeking. 
they want those group of friends to be held accountable for what it is that they did. And so we must support them in those endeavors. We have to keep the public pressure up on authorities to ensure that her clear, brutal murder doesn't get swept under the rug as her friends intended. That was part one. We are now about to head into part two of the Shinquella Robinson case. A police report has been leaked about Shinquella Robinson's death, making it clear that the Cabo Six lied, but Mexican authorities and doctors have also lied to the family, and they also lied on her death certificate. Shinquella had been receiving medical attention for over three hours prior to her death. So why was she not brought to the hospital and what really happened in that villa? So in the last video, I mentioned that at the time of recording, the family had not launched a GoFundMe. Since recording and uploading that last video, they have. So if you are able to support them financially, you can find that link below in the description. And if you are not in a position to financially support the family, then just share the link as many times as you can and make sure to keep Shinquella's name out there. Almost immediately after the GoFundMe launched, Kyrie Irving was one of the first to donate and he contributed $65,000. That just felt important to mention because he is a North Carolina native and he always does what he can to support his community. Now, in the previous video, I kept referring to the group who attacked Shinquella as her friends because I mentioned I didn't know what else to call them or refer to them as, but since uploading that video, the internet has quickly come up with an alternative name because friends is not at all fitting for what they did to her. So from this point on, I will be referring to them as the Cabo Six. On Saturday, November 19th, 2022, eight days after Shinquella's body was flown home from Mexico, the family was finally able to lay their daughter to rest in her hometown of Charlotte. Her sister Quilla Long wrote in the description of the GoFundMe that we face a tremendous unexpected financial burden and a great deal of pain as we prepare to lay my sister to rest. Hundreds of people showed up and showed out for Shinquella to pay their respects and to honor her in the best way that they knew how. There were an abundance of beautiful images of Shinquella, and her family did everything that they could to honor her and remember her in the beauty of her life rather than the tragedy of her death. So in the first video that I uploaded about Shinquella Robinson, I mentioned that the family had requested for Charlotte's FBI division to get involved in the case. And the authorities are now officially involved and they are treating Shinquella's death as a homicide, which her parents knew it was from the start. Thankfully, due to public pressure and attention, this is one aspect of this whole horrible situation that the family did not have to fight for, which, thank God. An FBI spokesperson recently made a statement and said that the FBI Charlotte Field Office has opened an investigation in of Charlotte resident Shinquella Robinson in Cabo San Lucas, Mexico, and that due to the ongoing investigation, they had no further comment. The Charlotte FBI also says that the Cabo Six are facing extradition to Mexico for their crimes if the investigations prove fruitful. U.S. officials have given Mexico officials permission to extradite anyone and everyone involved to Mexican jails pending their potential arrest and any potential charges. The Charlotte FBI is urging anyone with information, new information about this case to contact them directly, and that information can be found in the description below as well. A U.S. State Department spokesperson spoke with Insider.com and said that when a U.S. citizen dies overseas, they, quote, provide all appropriate consular assistance to the family, end quote, concluding that they have no other comment at this time. This, however, is obviously not true, as Shinquella's father has spoken out and said that he and a relative had to call around to all of the funeral homes in the area to figure out where Shinquella was at and figure out themselves how to get her home. Yeah, not knowing, you know, how, you know, over in Mexico, where she at now, we're getting together trying to figure out where she at. So 
she on the embassy, calling the embassy. They're giving her to run around. I don't know too much about Mexico. As I'm standing here talking to y'all right now, I'm just hurting all inside. In which I know it wasn't the God that led me to her. So me and my brother got on that phone and started Googling all the funeral home that was over in Mexico, Cabo. So we um, came up with funeral home, Riviera funeral home over there. Another young lady um, answered the phone and her name was um, Elizabeth. And from that point on, she said, I asked her, you have St. Cola Robinson uh, over there? She said, yes, sir. Miss Robinson, I'm sorry for your loss. And um, so from that point on, she said, um, said, Mr. Robinson, I'm going to stick with you until I get your daughter back to the States. So that lady was like an angel. The U.S. government did not help them pay for this transportation or cover it completely, and they also did not help them arrange anything. The family had to wait over two weeks to figure out where she was at and come up with the $6,000 needed to arrange everything to get her back home. A group of FBI agents arrived in Cabo to begin their on-the-ground investigation on the very weekend in which Chinquela's funeral was being held, weeks after they denied that foul play had ever gone on. The State Attorney General's Office of Baja, California, Mexico, stated that there is an ongoing investigation and that they are also collecting evidence related to the case. They said that they are investigating the death of a woman they called a foreigner at a resort development in the town of Cabo. Mexican officials said that they could not confirm Chinquela's cause of death because it is a part of an ongoing investigation. However, off the record, a Mexican authority told USA Today that the victim was in fact Chinquela Robinson. Mexican authorities have also spoken out and said that they are investigating the case as femicide. Now, this is significant specifically for Mexico because femicides have been a real reoccurring issue with over 70% of women and girls over the age of 15 experiencing some sort of intimate relation violence or things that are triggers or precursors to femicide. So what is femicide? It's defined as the killing of a woman or a girl either by a man or a woman because she is a woman or a girl. The United Nations says that it is the most extreme form of violence and discrimination against women and girls. This term was first coined by John Corey in 1801 in a book he published named A Satirical View of London at the Commencement of the 19th Century, in which he was talking about the murders of women. There are a lot of things that cause femicide, but primarily these things are gender inequality, gender expectations, and systemic gender-based discrimination. There are two different types of femicide according to femicideincanada.ca. The first is intimate femicide, aka intimate partner femicide, in which women or girls are likely to be killed by current or former partners. Typically, women and girls are far more likely than men to be assaulted and murdered by a current or a former partner. The second is non-intimate femicide, which involves the killing of a woman by someone who they did not share an intimate partner relationship with, which includes a wide range of femicide types such as familial femicide, other known perpetrator femicide, or stranger femicide. This is the category in which Chinquela's murder falls within. There is also a subcategory within this, which is named female perpetrated femicide, in which it has three categories of its own. The first is when a woman is acting as an agent of the patriarchy. The second is when a woman may be acting as agents of male perpetrators in gang-like related murders. And the third is when women are acting on their own behalf and were driven to do so due to jealousy, financial gains, or other ideological activities. Now, I believe that 
Shinquella's murder falls within the female perpetrated femicide. As we have seen, the injuries that were caused to her were from other women that she went on the trip with. And I believe it could fall under all of these three categories. The first one, because there were men just standing around watching, egging it on. The second, because it was a gang-like circumstance, right? Everybody was encouraging the women to beat Chinquella and attack her. And the third is, we don't know what the other factors were, but there was some plotting and some planning going on. And that's why it occurred less than 24 hours after landing in Mexico, in my personal opinion. As of November 22nd, 2022, no charges have been laid to my knowledge and no one has been arrested or brought in for questioning. In the last video, I said that the family may be looking to hire a private investigator, and now according to WNCT, the family is definitely hiring a private investigator, which they definitely should. So go and donate or share the GoFundMe if you can, because those funds will also be used for that. They're going to be using this private investigator to make sure the truth is being told, as everybody has been lying to them this entire time. Chinquela's family has regularly been speaking to a variety of news outlets in an effort to keep the story out there to get their daughter justice. They have also been consistently speaking to Gerald Jackson on and off camera, a blogger who runs the North Carolina Beat. So shout out to him for getting most of this information out there. He was the one who actually leaked the video of Chinquela being attacked. And Bernard Robinson, Chinquela's father, confirmed to several sources that his daughter is in fact the one in the video. Gerald Jackson did an interview with the Daily Beast confirmed that he received the clip from someone who was in that room who sent it to an individual family member who Gerald is friends with. He did not say the name of this person or the family member attached to them and I'm assuming that this was done to protect the integrity of his blog and his source as well. If the family member of this person was in fact a part of the Cabo Six and is responsible for Shanquella's death, they wouldn't hesitate in harming someone else who is ultimately responsible for getting the attention on this case that it deserves and it's going to be a huge part in why the Robinsons even have the possibility of getting justice for Shinquella in the first place. More details have come out regarding Salamandra's last conversation with Shinquella, in which Shinquella told her mom that their party had a chef, that they were about to get that they were getting ready to eat, they were eating tacos and salad and having drinks and just like a whole feast set up for them. And before she got off the phone, she said, Okay, I love you. Have a good night. I will talk to you tomorrow. The family has confirmed to multiple sources that they only learned of the autopsy report after making countless calls to the FBI and Mexican authorities. It was not given over to them willingly. A State Department official is now working alongside the Robinsons to help them get access to Mexican law enforcement reports. Salamandra told Good Morning America in an interview that someone had called the family and told them that a group had been fighting their daughter over there, referring to Mexico, making it clear that there were other witnesses to what had happened, and yet the police still denied that foul play was ever involved. It also shows that the villa is more responsible than they would like to take on, because if other guests are staying at your villa, they knew that a fight was going down, they could hear it, they knew what was going on, and you still did nothing about it. Now, I understand that it is technically considered a private residence in which they are renting, but if you know and there are reports of some sort of violence going down in a country that has a huge issue with femicide, there has to be some sort of responsibility or obligation onto the folks who failed to intervene. But we will get more into that later on. Salamandra has also said it was never a fight. She did not fight. She was attacked. She also added that the day Shinquella arrived in Mexico, she was so happy. Salamandra was looking at some of the pictures and Shinquella was having a really good time, adding that she does not know when it all started to go wrong. 
Shinquilla's sister, Quilla Long, has also spoken out and said to Good Morning America that the video of her sister being attacked is sickening, which I agree. She also said the United States State Department released a statement claiming that there was no clear evidence of foul play, and yet there is a video circulating of a woman who we now know to be Dijanae Jackson violently attacking Shinquilla. She goes on to say that this statement is unacceptable and that the family is beyond devastated and they will continue to fight for the truth. Bernard spoke to TMZ and said that they attacked her. They put a hole in my heart. That was my only child. I'm heartbroken. I can't even be a granddaddy. I can't walk her down the aisle. I can't hear her voice. He also went on to say they left her in that house. They left her there for the maid to find her. Do you know how much my daughter suffered? I just want justice. This shows that Nazir Wiggins, the friend who arrived on Saturday, who we talked about in the previous installment of this series, the story he told about his arrival was not true. Bernard told SWOC that by the grace of God, I think that I'm going to get to the bottom of this. Adding that God ain't gonna fail, it's gonna come out, that he's not giving up, and that he's very confident that he's going to have peace of mind. He also said that this situation is like a nightmare. He cannot sleep. And he just wants some truth because all of this does not add up. In an interview with Gerald Jackson, who I mentioned before is the owner of the Charlotte Beat, Bernard was candidly open and honest. It was heartbreaking to watch, but also important to see. I have the full interview linked down below if you want to go and watch that. Now I'm just going to clip and insert what I found to be some of the most important or vital parts of the interview. So Bernard confirms that the friends were coming back to Charlotte after they had left Shinquela in Mexico, and they were lying to the family. So y'all going to come back here to the States and um, bring her luggage back, sit right there in her mom's, in her sister's face, ate, told y'all story, how it happened, alcohol poison and all that. And then, you know, two or three days later, when that report came back, the lady told me, no, Mr. Brown, you and your daughter didn't die of no alcohol poison. She died. It was um, trauma, trauma to her neck and her spinal cord. It was broke. He confirmed that Khalid is the one who called the family and informed them about Shanquella being sick and then continued to call them throughout the day about her having alcohol poisoning, which is all a lie. Point then, that's when say, she found her dead um, at three o'clock, say, her friend Khalid um, was on the phone talking to us and she was, you know, sick, throwing up. It wasn't feeling well. Um, she took a shower, laid back down, and and they called the Airbnb house. Um, they supposed to send a medic out, uh, doctor out to, to the house, and they had to pay $150 for the doctor to come. So, you know, that's what Khalid telling, you know, her mom, why Khalid, you know, didn't give you the phone or let you hit a doctor. And Khalid, you supposed to be her best friend for five years. Five her years. Friend. The Cabo Six tried to scam Shinquella's family out of $5,000 to take Shinquella to the hospital after she had already died. Then right. one of them in the house, well, she was told, one of them told her she needed to wire $5,000 over there so they can take her to the hospital or so she'd be able to see, get in the hospital. I said, $5,000 for what? He confirms that the embassy did not help them at all, but in fact gave the family the runaround did not help them find Shinquella and bring her home. They had to do it all themselves. The U.S. Embassy and all of the American authorities in Mexico are now lying to cover their own asses and make themselves look good. 
he confirms that he saw the physical injuries to her face when she arrived at the funeral home in, in Charlotte, making it clear that something was wrong from the start and nobody had noted this. I'm sitting here, you know, looking at her, seeing, you know, a knot on her head, her eyes swole, she got a lip, cut lip, and, you know, just, you know, that's, no, I know alcohol wasn't going to do all that, you know, so that's just something I had not right here. He also stated that Shinquella isn't a fighter and anyone who knew her knew that. So they knew that when they attacked her, that she wouldn't fight back, that there would be serious injuries to her. She's not a fighter. She's not a fighter at all. He believes that Shinquella was set up, which I also believe and stated in my last video as well. So allegedly, Shinquella was attacked by every single girl on that trip. With the video that was released, being the first of many attacks to come, meaning she was brutally attacked and we don't know for how long and it's unclear which of these attacks was the one that ultimately delivered the fatal blow. Despite the clear injuries on her face alone, the Cabo Six were not arrested and it does not appear that they were ever interrogated by Mexican or American authorities. Seemingly relying on impunity and they have virtually disappeared from the face of the earth and have gone into hiding. Yeah. Y'all only came back here then shut down your Facebook pages, you know, you know, you're not talking no more like you was before you left. So what, what, you know, why, why you hiding? You know, just tell the truth. All of the friends were actively lying to the family. And after the cause of death and the video was released, they were no longer answering any messages or calls from the Robinsons, their relatives, or anyone else who tried to contact them. A new video has been released by the Charlotte Beat, making it even more clear that the Cabo Six set Chinquella up. The video is from Friday, October 28th, 2022 at 8.45 p.m. It was Khalil Cook recording Chinquella while she was asleep in a hammock and then posted it to her Instagram story in which he can be heard saying, we got our first dead body, 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 and then laughing about it. We got our first dead body, 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 she too full. Gerald sent Bernard this video and Bernard says that he believes that this is just another indication that his daughter was set up. He confirmed that Shinquella is in the video and also confirmed that he has forwarded the video to the FBI. Shortly after this video was taken at about 9.45 p.m. is when Shinquella spoke to her mom and went on to eat dinner after getting off the phone. So just a couple hours after arriving, they were already plotting, planning, and joking about her death. Another video from this same night, October 28th, 2022, was released, but this one was taken by Shinquella and posted on her close friend's story. In that video, it shows that Shinquella was excited to be with her friends. It seemed as if they were all getting ready to go swimming. Everyone else had gone to a separate room and left her alone in the villa. She went looking for them, and she can be heard in the video stating, it don't take that long to get naked, where y'all at, in a cheerful, playful tone. The group pretended that as she walked in, they were discussing what to wear to the pool, but they were all fully clothed and Shinquella was ready to go. But due to the fact that as soon as Shinquella walks in, the demeanor of everyone in the room changes, they gave off extremely cold and harsh vibes. So it appears to be just another indication that they were plotting and planning, figuring out how exactly to set Shinquella up. Allegedly, the FBI is also investigating the omission and the negligence of Mexican authorities due to the large variety of contradictions in this case.
They may be doing this to further lay charges, but they may also be doing this just to place pressure on the Mexican government and the government of Baja California, as well as others who were negligent in this case. The individuals as of right now who are currently under investigation are Dr. Carolina Beatrice Ornelas Guterres, a doctor at the American Medical Center Clinic, the doctor on scene who treated Shanquella. The agents of Municipal Police of Los Cabos, Omar and David, their last names haven't been released, as well as the agent of Public Ministry of PGJE, Julio Daniel. But why? What was their involvement and what role did they play in Shanquella's death and the clearly attempted cover-up? As of today, with the day that I'm recording, November 22nd, 2022, a police report was leaked to Gerardo Zingia, a Mexican investigative reporter with Metropoli MX. It says that Shinquela's death was reported to police three hours after her murder. When police agents Omar and David, who were part of the DS-777 patrol, were welcomed at the door by Caroline Beatrice, stating that at 2.13 p.m., the Cabo 6 had requested the consultation service for Shanquella. They requested a doctor to come to the room. The group had reported that Shanquella had drunk a lot of alcohol, and the medical call was for Shanquella to be given an IV, making it clear that it was not an emergency when it actually was. The doctor stated that this is very routine as a lot of people often get extremely drunk in Mexico so she makes calls like this all the time so they made it clear it wasn't an emergency so she wasn't in a rush to get there. So she arrived an hour after receiving the call where she found Shanquella. She says that Shanquella was not at all responding to her. There was very poor verbal response outlining that she appeared to be drunk but she had stable vital signs and was dehydrated. So the doctor then recommended that, due to her state, she be transferred to the local clinic in which she worked at. But the Cabo Six refused, and they were adamant that Shanquella be served on-site in the villa. They did not want her to leave. Carolina then proceeded to try and give Shanquella an IV, but she wasn't successful. And it's not clear what exactly was in the IV, if it was just fluids or what was going on. At 4.20 p.m., Shanquella had a generalized seizure that lasted less than a minute, and that is when the ambulance was finally called. Winter Donovan then dialed 911, stating that they needed an ambulance, and we know this because the reporting person on the police record is Winter Donovan of Greensboro. While this was going on, Shinquella's pulse continued to decrease and she continued to have difficulty breathing. The doctor then began to ventilate Shanquella. At 4.49 p.m., the doctor says that she stopped being able to feel a pulse and she began CPR with the help of one of the Cabo 6, who is unidentified at this time, and continued to do so until the ambulance arrived. But when exactly the ambulance arrived is not clear. The doctor and the paramedics performed 14 rounds of CPR. They gave her five doses of adrenaline and six discharges of an AED, without success to resuscitate her, and there was no pupillary reflexes. Shanquella also suffered cardiac arrest according to the autopsy, and that makes sense because she was given so many shots of adrenaline. The police arrived and talked with the doctor at 5.25 p.m. The police report lists the reason for the call as a deceased person due to cardiopulmonary arrest. Carolina declared Shanquella legally dead at 5.57 p.m. At 6.35 p.m., the paramedics gave a call to the agent of public ministry of PGJE, 
Julio Daniel telling him what happened so that he could fill out the necessary reports as this was an American citizen who died on Mexican soil. The doctor said in the death certificate that the time between her injury and her death was only 15 minutes. But this leaked police report, which seems to have more of the accurate true information, shows that Shinquella died nearly three hours after the doctor's first visit at the villa. The death certificate also says that Shinquella was declared dead at about 3 p.m. 3.15, in which she was actually declared dead at 5.57 p.m. Due to this new information, the villa where they were staying is 100% liable, in my opinion. Cabo Villas is owned by the Porto... Los Cabos development and CabosLosVillas.com is where the group rented Villa Linda 32 and a representative of the company spoke with Insider.com and said that they are working alongside local authorities. The same authorities who initially said nothing happened to Shinquella. Meanwhile, the whole report shows that something happened to her. The same representative said that the team at Cabo Villas has been in full cooperation with local emergency and public safety authorities regarding the incident from the initial contact for assistance onwards. They said that we are working diligently to determine the facts surrounding this incident, which is currently being investigated as an isolated criminal matter that happened involving guests at a private villa in Los Cabos. To me, this statement makes it extremely clear that they are doing whatever they can to protect their own and protect themselves because Shinquella's death is ultimately also on them. And I imagine they're trying to protect themselves from a lawsuit. They're trying to protect themselves to make sure that their tourism rate does not go down. They're trying to protect themselves and make it clear that they are not associated or affiliated with what happened when, based on this police report, they're also liable. This leaked police report makes it so extremely clear that a cover-up had gone on, very likely to protect the villa, to protect the tourism industry in the area. It doesn't appear that it was done to protect the Cabo Six, but by trying to protect the villa and everyone else involved in that aspect, including potentially the doctor and the, the minister, they are inadvertently protecting the Cabo Six. So everybody in this case, from start to finish, was lying to the family. The more information comes out about this case, the more horrific the whole situation becomes. As I said before, I will continue to post updated videos with the information that I find, but make sure to stay updated with the case, share Shinquella's name on social media, do not let the pressure die down as that is the only reason they are investigating in the first place, but also make sure to share and donate to the GoFundMe if you can. Shinquella's family deserves justice and we will see this through. That was part two. We are now about to head into the third and final part of the Shinquella Robinson case. An arrest warrant has been issued in the femicide of Shinquella Robinson, but the statement made by the Mexican prosecutor makes it unclear if others will be charged. Why would they only charge one person and who could it be? On November 23, 2022, nearly a month after Shinquella had been brutally murdered, the first arrest warrant was issued in her femicide. Authorities did not say who the target of the warrant is, but due to the statement released, it very much seems as if it's Dijonay Jackson, as in the video released by Gerald from the North Carolina Beat, Dijonay was the only one physically attacking Shinquella while everyone else stood around, watched, and encouraged the attack. Daniel De La Rosa Anaya, who is a prosecutor for the state of Baja, California, Mexico, spoke to ABC News, amongst other news outlets, and said, that the case is fully clarified. We have a court order. There is an arrest warrant issued for the crime of femicide to the detriment of the victim and against an alleged perpetrator who is a friend of hers who is a direct aggressor. 
He clarifies that there was never a fight that went on, stating that it was not a quarrel, but instead a direct aggression, which is backing up what Shinquilla's parents, Salamandra and Bernard, have been saying this entire time. She wasn't even fighting back. They attacked her. He goes on to say that we are carrying out the pertinent procedures, such as the Interpol alert and the request for extradition to the United States of America. Interpol, for those who don't know, is an international criminal police organization which facilitates worldwide police cooperation as it has 195 countries which have police forces a part of it. So it basically allows for information to be spread quickly amongst these police forces. The idea is that they are supposed to be able to help the country which issued the alert if they can. There are different types of alerts or notices. The first is the red notice, which is to seek the location and arrest of a person's wanted for prosecution or to serve a sentence. This is the one that was issued in Chinquela's case. There is a yellow notice, which is to locate missing persons, often minors, or to help identify persons who are unable to identify themselves. There is a blue notice, which is to collect additional information about a person's identity, location, or activities in relation to a criminal investigation. So this also could have been issued in this case. They don't specify which one. They just make a general statement saying it was an Interpol alert. There's also a black notice, which is to seek information on unidentified bodies, a green notice, which is to provide warning about a person's criminal activities where the person is considered to be a threat to public safety, an orange notice to warn of an event, a person or object or process representing a serious and imminent threat to public safety, a purple notice, which is to seek or provide information on modus operandi, which is a Latin phrase for the mode of operating, which is the pattern of criminal behavior, objects, devices, or concealment methods and an Interpol United Nations Security Council special notice, which is issued for entities and individuals who are the targets of UN Security Council sanction committees. I just want it to be so super clear that Interpol alerts do not typically mean a whole lot. And despite having a wide reach amongst all continents and majority of countries in the world, they aren't always effective or aren't typically effective, like rarely effective, at least in the cases that I have seen. So I guess it's nice that they did this, but it's not likely to be of any benefit to get the target of the arrest warrant in custody or in solving the case. It's very well likely that U.S. authorities and Mexican authorities are just going to work together on this, but I guess they did that just in case Dijonet or any of the other Cabo cowards, as they are now being referred to, um, have fled the country, which I doubt that they have. So in order for this process to happen, like the prosecution and everything, Dijonet, who we are all assuming is the target of this warrant, will have to be extradited. So extradition is the legal process which allows a person suspected or convicted of committing a crime from one jurisdiction to another. So it allows them to be transferred. A person may be extradited for the purpose of criminal prosecution, interrogation, or for the purpose of carrying out a prison sentence or a detention order. The only arrest warrant that we know of has been issued for Dijonet Jackson, allegedly. Warrants may also be issued for the other five. The Mexican government may want to interrogate them. The most common cases of extradition by far are between Canada, America, and Mexico. You can only be extradited from Canada if the alleged crime or criminal conduct is recognized by both countries in question. But on May 4th, 1978, the U.S. and Mexico government signed an extradition treaty which allows for the return of those who have committed crimes and fled across the U.S. and Mexico border. So it doesn't matter if it's a crime only in Mexico or only in the States. If they want you to be extradited, they can put out that order. And the other government is to agree and to work together and collaborate on that. A person can be extradited for a number of reasons, according to CarmichaelLegal.com, but they say that the most common are murder, kidnapping, drug trafficking, terrorism, rape, sexual assault, burglary, embezzlement, arson, or treason, which is betrayal of the government, betrayal of your own government. 
The prosecutor finishes off his statement by adding that this is about two Americans, the victim and the culprit. This, to me personally, felt like an extremely odd thing to end on because it gives the impression as if this is the only person who they intend on charging or extraditing at this point in time, making it seem like it's a very open and shut case, which we now know that it is not. This is definitely not about two Americans only. There is alleged information that Shinquella was attacked by Winter Donovan and Alyssa Hyatt as well, but Khalil Cook and Malik Dwyer were also encouraging the attacks and filming them as well. It's wild to me how quickly they are acting now that so much public pressure has been placed on them, but before, they were just trying to deny and gaslight the family into thinking that nothing malicious had happened to Shinquella. So Salamandra spoke to ABC News on Wednesday night, right as the news broke, and said that, I feel so good, that it's a good feeling, about the arrest warrant being issued. She said that this is what we have been waiting for, someone to be finally held accountable and arrested. She finishes her statement by saying that we cannot wait for justice to be served. She also said that she is happy that the FBI stepped in to help solve her daughter's case so that her death won't go in vain. Salamandra says that she would like to see each one of the Cabo cowards sent back to Mexico because their plan was to go back to America thinking that they would not be prosecuted, that they would be safe. She also says that Shinquella was a loving and caring person and that she wants everyone to remember that, rounding out the interview by stating we are going to keep her legacy alive. So in the last video, I defined femicide in great detail, but to just basically sum it up very quickly, it is the murder of a woman or a girl simply because they are a woman or a girl. Femicide is structured gendered violence based on discrimination, sexism, and misogyny. It takes advantage of any relationships of trust, kinship, authority, or other unequal power dynamics with the victim. But I didn't talk about how one knows that femicide has actually occurred. So according to a literature review published by the European Institute for Gender Equality and written by Dr. Bridget Sauer, Myrna Dawson, Anna Wiesik-Duranska, Barbara Spinelli, and a few others, they say that when identifying femicide, it is necessary to follow a procedure which identifies the different elements of killing to assess the contexts, circumstances, and individual behavior. The sex of the victim and the perpetrator, the type of relationship between the victim and the perpetrator, whether the attacker has incel-like behavior or ideology, which means that they have expressed a deep-rooted hatred for women, as well as history of domestic violence and previous institutional interventions in the country of the murder intentionality, gender-specific situations, and gender-specific motivations for the killing of the women must also be considered, but overarching themes are just basically patriarchy, sexism, and gender roles. It's also noted that femicide can happen in any setting. It is not limited to murders such as Shinquellas, but it can also be within the process of a bank robbery or other crimes in which they are in the act of doing one thing, but their hatred for women overrides themselves, so they commit assault or murder on a woman in the process. This review outlines that there are three levels of gender motivation and femicide. The first is gender-motivated behavior that is grounded in gendered culture, that is the general inequality of women and men, and the roles in patriarchy that have been dedicated to women and men. So men and women follow these cultural preferences or references. Women are constructed in patriarchy as being the property of men, whereas men are allowed to exercise their power and control over women, leading to femicide. The second is identifying where gender-motivated killings are located in society in the context where gendered behavior is practiced and the situation in which the killing took place. So for example, the gendered structure of intimate partnership or FGM. The third is when gender-motivated killings happen at the relational level between people, so such as what happened with Shinquella. 
I will leave a link to this report in the description if you are looking to learn more about femicide, the aggravating factors, definitions. It's really thorough and very well written, so I do recommend it, but it is kind of long, but you can find that link down below. If convicted of femicide in Mexico, any of the Cabo cowards can face 50 years and upwards in prison. If you enjoy true crime cases from a critical decolonial perspective, void of propaganda, you like the way that I've been breaking down the Shinquella case, then why aren't you subscribed? I regularly discuss true crime and breakdown cases in a similar format to this. So I just want to note right off the bat, Mexican authorities have not responded to multiple requests for comment from a variety of sources asking for an explanation into why the last report that was leaked is so different than the death certificate and the autopsy. Every single person involved or every single authority involved has a different timeline of events or a different explanation as to what went on. The point of bringing up the Mexican police report in the last video was to highlight how a different timeline had been given to American media and Shinquella's family. It was not to distract or take attention away from what truly happened to Shinquella, which is that she was attacked and beaten by members of the Cabo Cowards, aka the Cabo Six, who then took their time in contacting a doctor, lying to the doctor about what had happened. The doctor did not note any obvious external injuries which were present and indicating that she had been attacked. The Cabo cowards then refused to let Shinquella go to the hospital. Shinquella was declared dead just before 6 p.m., not 3.15 p.m., as the death certificate stated, over three hours after the initial call was made requesting medical attention in the villa. Then, the Cabo cowards requested $5,000 from Salamandra and Bernard after Shinquella had already died. Bringing this up was to point out that the Mexican authorities had lied. They had tried to cover up what really happened to Shinquella, and American authorities did as well. People keep talking about how corrupt Mexican officials are, but let's not leave American officials out of this conversation. They too were just trying to cover up Shinquella's death. If they did not receive the immense public pressure and backlash, it's very likely that they would have been able to achieve and participate in this cover-up. The public would never know what happened to her, and her family would never get the justice that they deserve. Many have pointed out since that video that car many have pointed out since I posted that video that cardiac arrest is very common after severe spinal injuries. And in the first video that I made about the case, I broke down the different types of spinal injuries that occur, and I mentioned that there's a possibility that Shinquella was paralyzed due to her injuries. So this is still a possibility, and that would explain why when the doctor first arrived, Shinquella was unresponsive, meaning that she was slowly dying in that villa for hours, surrounded by the very people responsible for her death. The purpose of highlighting this report was to further hit home the fact that everyone, Mexican and American authorities, the villa where they were staying, and of course the Cabo cowards were lying and trying to cover up Shinquella's murder from the very beginning. I very personally am very anti-prison, very anti-police, but when covering cases like this, I think it's important to put my own personal feelings to the side when the family is advocating for those things as their means of obtaining justice and closure about what happened to their loved one. After all, this happened to them. It did not happen to me. It did not happen to you. For the family's sake, I hope that their wishes get fulfilled, that the Mexican authorities do not drag this out, and that all of the Cabo cowards get charged and extradited to Mexico as well. Please continue to share and donate to the family's GoFundMe. That link can be found in the description.